Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For with the judgment you use, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and look, there's a log in your eye? Hypocrite. First take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs, or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them with their feet. Turn and tear you to pieces. May Yahweh bless His Word to our hearts today. Heavenly Father, I pray that You'd be with me today as I teach Your Word. Open the minds and the hearts of the people here today. May they receive a blessing from the teaching of the Scriptures. I pray these things through Your Messiah. Hallelujah. Amen. Before Tisha and I got married, most of the time that we spent together was in church. We were just wee little lads. We spent a lot of time in church. We went to church at least three times a week where I grew up. And then we had youth camps and revivals and conferences. And we ended up going to a lot of those things because, well, we wanted to spend more time together. But we had a good time at those things as well. One time we were up in Atlanta for this huge Pentecostal youth conference. It was big. There was an amazing choir called the Atlanta Youth Chorale. And there were probably a thousand or maybe more people in attendance. It was in a big hall, banquet hall, at a humongous high-rise hotel. And I was what they would call on fire for the Lord. Somebody said, you've seen that Matthew? He's on fire for the Lord. That's what they would call it, as they say. I was reading and studying my Bible all the time. I did a lot of praying, a lot of fasting, getting as much faith in me as possible. But I was also... I was also very zealous to the point that I was very critical and very judgmental. So I remember when the preacher got up to speak that night, I opened my Bible up to the place that he began. And when I opened up my Bible, what I wanted to do was my very best to catch him in an error. That's what I was looking for. So right out the gate, I was more interested in finding one small thing that he misspoke or one grain of doctrinal error in his sermon than I was in listening to everything that he had to say. And I remember I kept whispering to Tisha as she sat beside me, that's wrong, he missed that one. That's not what that verse means. And she kept saying, shh, be quiet, be quiet, shh. <laughs> but I thought that that's what I was supposed to do. I was sent to correct everybody. And I had a lot of zeal, I had a lot of judgment, but I had little knowledge and even less compassion and looking back now, I remember the sermon, I remember the subject he spoke on, and the message was actually great. But I missed the main point that, that day, the main good point, because I was more interested in where he slightly missed a point, or maybe he gave the wrong chapter and verse citation in his sermon. We opened up with Matthew 7, 1 through 6. It's been said that Matthew 7, verse 1 is the most quoted verse in all the Bible, even more than John 3, 16. They say John 3, 16 used to be the verse that people knew more than others, and now it's kind of migrated to judge not that ye be not judged. That's the King James Version rendering of Matthew 7, verse 1. Most people know some form of that verse, even if they don't believe in the Bible. This is one of the verses that all people, even unbelievers, know. 
I remember hearing one girl in my teenage years pipe up when someone tried to address something in her life. She said, doesn't your Bible say not to judge me? And yes, the verse has been abused and misused by many people in an attempt to say that the Bible is against any passing of judgment. So if you've spent any time at all reading Scripture, then you know that that is not true. The Bible is not against all forms of judgment. And I thought when I was putting the sermon together, there are so many texts that I could go to, but I just figured I'd show two here in Matthew's Gospel, since that's where we were at. You can take these down and go look at them in your study time. Just a few verses later in this very same chapter, in Matthew seven fifteen through 20, Yeshua says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. That phrase, you will know them, is another way of saying this is how you can judge whether they're false or true. So here in the exact same chapter, he's telling us to pass judgment, be discerning. Later in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 18, verse 15, we read another case where he tells us to judge. And he says that if our neighbor sins against us, we're to go to them and show them their fault. There's no way for us to do that unless we pass a judgment on a wrong that has been committed. And that entire section in Matthew 18, 15 through 20 is about church discipline and a call to righteous judgment. So we read those texts. Read Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Matthew 18, 15 through 20 as well. And maybe we read Deuteronomy 16 where Yahweh says, Appoint judges and officers in all of your towns that I'm giving you in the land. We read that and we say, there it is. We must judge. We've got to be big judges. Well, we need to hold on for a second because we're not just called to go by Scripture. We're called to go by all of Scripture. Man, so many people lean to one error or the other because they don't take in the sum of the Word of Yahweh, S-U-M of the Word of Yahweh. We have a scripture right here in Matthew 7, 1 through 2 that says again, Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For with the judgment you use, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The first point that I want to make here is something that works like sowing and reaping. That's how judgment works. What you sow, you'll reap. If you always go around pointing fingers, that's what life is going to look like towards you. Not just from other people, but also from Yahweh. If all you do is criticize, condemn, and complain, then that's what you're going to have doled out to you in your life. Criticism, condemnation, and complaints. Don't expect something different than what you sow. If I sow sweet potatoes in my garden, I expect to get sweet potatoes. It's very simple. I don't expect to get rutabagas. I expect to get sweet potatoes. So if we have a critical spirit, people are going to have a critical spirit back. If we have a kind spirit, people are going to be kind back. If you're friendly, people will be friendly back. If you're mean, odds are people will be mean back to you. So the first two verses here in Matthew 7, they do not teach against righteously judging matters or even righteously judging people. They speak against having this judgmental, critical attitude and spirit. Now catch this. These verses, 1 through 2, are not a commandment against judging. What they are are a warning that as you judge, so you will be judged. With what measure you use, pull out the tape measure, 
it will be measured back to you by other people and by the Almighty Himself. Now along with this comes the idea of loving judgment and fault-finding more than mercy and compassion. There's a time for all of these. But a lot of times we love fault-finding more than compassion. So as we meet people day by day, we can either be merciful upon them in the areas they fall short, or we can be harsh on them in those areas. Some people always look for the negative. Other people always look for the positive. If we harp on the negative in a person's life, what it does is it turns them further away. If all you do to a child is scold them, tell them what bad they do, and holler at the child, the child will eventually build a wall between you and he or she. In parenting or in relationships, there is such a thing called constructive criticism, but it's got to be doled out carefully and always, always with a healthy dose of encouragement, positivity and love. Even when you're constructively doing criticism, a healthy dose of encouragement and love should come along with that. Proverbs 15, verse 1, popular verse, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Uh, Proverbs 15, verse 4 says, The tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. So I found and I've learned through just practice, experience, Bible study, reading good books, I found that if you really want someone to work on their problems, if somebody has problems and you want that someone to work on their problems, don't harp on their problems. Center in on their strengths and the good things that they do. The way that you help people change for the better is by focusing more on their good than their bad. And when you encourage and praise and speak positive into someone's life, it not only makes them feel appreciated and good, it makes them want to correct the bad things in their life without you even telling them. Always be careful in your criticism, but liberal in your praise. Give your praise out bountifully, but be careful in your criticism. Give at least twice as much praise as you do constructive criticism. Be quick to praise and slow to critique. Love mercy more than judgment. Love compassion more than fault-finding. Then we come to verses 3 through 5 in Matthew chapter 7. Verses 3 through 5 deal with hypocritical judging. This is a judging that's condemned. Again, it reads, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye. And look, there's a log in your eye. Hypocrite. First take the log out of your eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The Messiah exaggerates here to make a point. In speaking of the various faults and sins that we have, he uses two terms, speck and log. And that's because all sins, contrary to what I was taught, what a lot of people are taught, all sins are not equivalent. There are some sins that are greater than others, and that's for a whole other message. But both specks and logs need to be removed, as these verses here show, but the word log stands for the bigger sin, and the term speck stands for the smaller sin. Now, Yeshua says that we often, as humans, when we pass judgment, we're more concerned with the speck or the small fault in our brother or sister than the log or the large fault in ourself. Tisha and I have raised five children. We're still raising some children at the house. 
One of the things that I noticed as my children started growing up is that the wrongs and the sins that I was correcting in my children were the same wrongs and sins that I had in my own life. It's one of the things that I noticed. Or sometimes I found that when I went to correct my child, a greater sin would pop up in my mind from my own life, maybe even in the past, that I had to deal with by the mercies of Yahweh. And Yahweh was long-suffering with me. So why am I not being as long-suffering with my child? So sometimes before I would go to discipline my child, I would think about the mercies of Yahweh in my life. How that in spite of my mess-ups day after day, He still blessed me. He still provided for me. He still fed me. He still showed me love. He didn't cloud up over me with judgment. But He was merciful. I think about Psalm 103, my favorite psalm. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve. He has not repaid us according to our offenses. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His faithful love to those who fear His name. He's removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. And as a father has compassion on his children, even so does Yahweh have compassion on all those who fear Him. For He knows we are but dust. Sometimes when I get down and out, I quote that verse to myself. But when I would quote that verse or think about that verse before I would go to discipline my child, Sometimes after I told my child I was going to discipline him or her, I'd end up not doing it because I was so overwhelmed with Yahweh's mercy towards me that I'd just hug him and tell him, Dad's going to show you mercy and not judgment. I'm not saying there's never a time for discipline. I could teach a whole message on the discipline of Yahweh. Scripture says that Yahweh disciplines those that He loves. He chastises us adults and puts us through hard times to correct us and teach us lessons. So I'm not against that. And I believe in training children and disciplining children. My point is this, though. When it's our turn to give out discipline and correction and judgment, whether it be to our children or our fellow adult neighbors, we usually forget about our problems that we have in our own life. We're usually more charitable towards our own problems and less charitable towards other people's problems. We're so quick to take our tweezers out and reach for the speck in our neighbor's eye, but there's this big two-by-four-by-eight poking from our own eye, but we can't see it. We're oblivious to it because it's in our life. Anybody ever got invited over to somebody's house and you notice all the problems or the blemishes in their house? Am I the only one that does that? Does anybody else do that? I sit down in the living room and I'll say, ah, that trim's not quite lined up or maybe there's a cobweb somewhere in the ceiling or maybe that paint doesn't line up because it had to be sanded down, they had to repaint, so forth and so on. <laughs> we do that to other people's homes because we're not used to seeing their home. We're not used to their living room or their kitchen. So the problems and the faults there, they stand out to us. But our own home, well, we wake up in our own home every morning. We sleep in it every night. We spend time in it during the day. And we're there so much that all the mistakes and the mess-ups on the house and the work, they become normal. They become common to us. They're, they don't affect us. They don't phase us. That's how it is with your sin and your neighbor's sin. You're able to see the smallest sin in somebody else. But a big sin in your own life gets glanced over because you've become used to it. And sometimes 
you can become numb to your own sin. It becomes common or no big deal. You get to the point where you might even not even know that you're sinning, and you are. Because you don't slow down long enough to evaluate your own life. You're too busy trying to fix everybody else that you hadn't fixed yourself. That's hypocritical judgment. Yeshua actually teaches us here in verses 3 through 5 that we are to pass judgment on other people. He teaches us that. He says, get the log out of your eye first so that you'll have clear vision and be able to remove the speck from your neighbor's eye. So he's condemning hypocritical judgment, but he's praising righteous judgment. Now, when you do this, righteous judgment, don't forget the mercy, the compassion, and the gentle part of this. You ever had a child come up to you and ask you to help them get something out of their eye? You don't grab a pair of scissors and start shaking their head or cutting away at their eye. You're gentle. You're careful. You try to look and see what's wrong. You get the proper light. You look carefully. You don't want to hurt the child. That's how we should be when we righteously judge each other. Gentleness, care, compassion, love. Righteous judgment desires repentance, not condemnation. The whole purpose of church discipline, I taught a series on it, but in Matthew 18, church discipline, when there's an unrepentant sinner in the congregation, church discipline is not meant for the purpose of getting rid of them. It's meant for the purpose of trying to bring them back. It is. That's why there's three steps involved in Matthew 18. So righteous judgment desires repentance. It's kind of like what Yahweh said in Ezekiel 18. He said, I don't desire the death of the wicked, but rather that they repent and turn from their transgression. So we want our neighbor in sin to be healed. We don't want her to be sent to the lake of fire. So we're careful. We speak the truth, but we're careful. That's Matthew 7, 1 through 5. I want to cover one more verse today. Verse 6. It's kind of ironic that right after he mentions what we've just talked about, in verse 6, Yeshua says, Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them with their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. Now, there's a natural to spiritual comparison going on here. Both of them are true. Both the natural is true and the spiritual is true. In the books of the law, the law of Yahweh that he gave through Moses. There are several laws about holiness. Holiness means that we're set apart for a specific use. We're, we're sanctified. We're different. We're unique. We're special. Yahweh gave his Israel people a list of instructions that separated them from the heathen nations. Because he said, you're a holy people. I am Yahweh. You're a mighty one. I'm holy. I want you to be holy. I want you to be set apart. Those same instructions set us apart as Yahweh's people today when we abide by them. We don't have to try to be different. We just follow the instructions and we automatically are different. And we're different not because we just want to be, but because we believe that we should follow the standard that our good Father in heaven lays out for us. Amen? So some of these instructions on holiness in the books of the law pertain to what we may eat and what we may not eat. Now, eating is something that all of us do a lot. When we speak about fasting, we start to get hungry. You say, oh no, I don't want to do a fast, even though Yeshua says earlier here in the Sermon on the Mount, when you fast. Not if you fast, but when you fast, right? He's not talking about just once a year on the Day of Atonement. (laughs) 
He's talking about a lifestyle of fasting. The point is, is that when we think about fasting, we get hungry because eating is very common to us. Eating is very normal to us. A big way that you can show Yahweh your devotion to Him is by letting Him be in charge of your eating. Another way you can show is by letting Him be in charge of your time because we don't like anybody messing with our time. But that's for a calendar sermon. We're talking about eating right now for a purpose. We submit to Yahweh's will in what we eat. Turn to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 22. But in Exodus 22 verse 31, we have one commandment here pertaining to something that we're not allowed to eat. Yahweh says, Be my holy people. Be my set-apart people. You must not eat the meat of a mauled animal found in the field. Throw it to the dogs. So here in the instruction manual, we're allowed to eat meat, Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14. But some animals are not considered clean for food. And even the animals that are considered clean for food, sometimes they can fall in a category called common or unfit for eating. And this is one such case in Exodus 22. So if you raise sheep or goats or know somebody that does, eventually you'll come along one of those animals out in the pasture that's been mauled by a wild animal. A sheep or a goat is normally clean for food. But if it's been mauled by a wild animal, it then falls into the category of common. So as Yahweh set apart people, we're not to eat its meat in this case. But he says we, we may throw it to the dogs. Exodus 22 verse 31. Now, going back to Matthew chapter 7 verse 6. In Matthew 7 verse 6, we see the opposite of that. Matthew 7, 6 says, Don't give what is holy to the dogs. You can give this Exodus 22 animal that's been mauled by a wild animal, throw it to the dogs, but don't give what's holy to the dogs. So in the Torah, there are instructions for sacrificial animals. I want you to think about the Passover. A lot of people here have observed Passover more than once. We have specific instructions on how to sacrifice the Passover. What to do with its blood, how to eat it, not to take it from house to house, and to burn the leftovers early the next morning. If we were to throw some of the Passover meat to the dogs or to a dog, it would be a desecration. That's a holy meal. It does not belong to the dogs. So he applies the natural to the spiritual. What is holy is here a spiritual truth from the law, or we might say from the gospel. And there are some people that we shouldn't share these holy things with. Because all they're going to do is mock, laugh, turn on you, and attack you. That sounds like passing a judgment to me. That's why I said it's ironic that he gives verse 6 after 1 through 5. Maybe, maybe the Messiah knew that we might misunderstand verses 1 through 5. And so he says, hey, just in case, I'll give you verse 6. Don't throw that which is holy to the dogs. Be discerning. Judge. Judge righteously. So there's some people we shouldn't share these holy truths with. It's the same thing with giving pearls to pigs. He mentions pearls to pigs here. He says, don't do that. In Scripture, pearls are a sign of great value. Uh, in Matthew 13, there's the pearl of great price. And in Job 28, to show the value of wisdom, it says wisdom is worth more than rubies and pearls. He, uh, showing the value there, rubies and pearls are expensive, but wisdom is worth more. You don't throw an expensive set of pearls at a pig's feet because the pig won't recognize the value of the pearl. What will he do? Trample on them. 
we must be careful who we share these great truths from Scripture with. These great truths that we know and that we love in the Bible are not meant for everybody. Some people just do not care. Some people are not interested. I know that I preach a lot about being kind and sharing the law and the gospel with people, and I have a lot of Scripture for that. That's why I teach it. But this is also Scripture too, so I have to teach this part too. Don't give that which is holy to the dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine. They'll turn on you, tear you, or trample the pearls. Look at Matthew chapter 10. We're here in the Gospel of Matthew. I was looking back over this today and I thought, man, I'd like to teach the whole chapter of Matthew 10, but that's not going to do that. <laughs> I'm just going to deal with a pertinent part. First, I want to look at verse 1, just the first part where it talks about how the Messiah summoned or called his 12 disciples and gives them authority over unclean spirits and to heal every disease and every sickness. He gives all 12 of his disciples that authority. So he's directly talking to his disciples here in Matthew chapter 10. We can still derive principles from it for us. But So now go down to verses 11 through 14. When you enter any town or village, speaking to his disciples, find out who is worthy and stay there until you leave. So he says when you go into the town or villages to perform all these things that I've given you authority to do, first you need to find out who's worthy to receive what I've given you. Verse 12, Greet a household when you enter it, and if the household is worthy, let your peace be on it. But if it is unworthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or town. That goes right along with do not give that which is holy to the dogs. Neither cast your pearls before swine. Maybe you tried to witness to an individual about a precious truth and they just didn't receive it at all, but they mocked, they scorned, they made fun. Yes, she was telling us, back off, shake the dust off your feet. Turn to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 10, verses 10 through 11. Very similar, but in this he's appointing some more disciples, 70 other disciples. But When you enter any town, he's speaking to his disciples, and they don't welcome you, Go out into its streets and say, We are wiping off as a witness against you even the dust of your town that clings to our feet. Know this for certain. The kingdom of the Almighty has come near. But I tell you, on that day it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. These are the parts of the Bible that a lot of times we don't hear. They don't get preached, but they're just as much a part as the other things. If you see somebody mocking the Mighty One of Israel, someone that just has an absolute disdain for holiness, righteousness, you can pray for them, but I do not believe you should give out the holy pearls of understanding to them. Spend your time talking with people who are hungry and show interest in this message. You know, it takes a lot of energy and a lot of stamina to witness these great truths with people, and I'm learning to spend my energy on people that want to listen. And say, Brother Matthew, you really feel that way? We're reading it in the text here. Don't give that which is holy to the dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine. Don't waste your energy on talking to a dog or a pig. 
Don't give this precious message to someone who is just going to make fun of you or run you down. Again, pray for their repentance. Pray for their salvation. Show them common grace and love. That's fine. But until they show some sign of brokenness or a willingness to receive, leave them alone with the spiritual. So I'm going to close this lesson with prayer and then we'll do our testimony and prayer request service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for loving us. Thank You for granting us a new heart. Yahweh, I just ask that You would let us put into practice those things that we learn. Help us, Yahweh, not to be judgmental, but loving. At the same time, Yahweh, help us to be discerning and careful. May we follow all of the instructions that your Son has given us in this text. It's through Him we pray to you. Amen.